Hey guys, you got Christina Gilchrist here, also known as the Dialysis Warrior Blind Chick. And I'm here with my Moosey boy, my Moose the Pomsky service dog. And. Hey, uh, what about me? Oh, yeah, I have Michael Gilchrist is here. The caretaker. And this is Living on Dialysis podcast. And this is a disclaimer we are not doctors. This is just the opinion of Living on Dialysis Facebook group. And always follow up any advice you have with your team and your doctors. And again, this is just an opinion. So if you don't like it, tell me yours. Bye. Hi guys, this is Christina Gilchrist. And Michael Gilchrist. And we are Living on Dialysis. And this is our first podcast, so we basically wanted to give the backstory of the amazing Christina, the dialysis warrior blind chick, and give her a story. So we're going to go ahead and start that. Hi guys. So, um, when I was 12 years old, I was diagnosed with a kidney disease. We didn't know exactly what the kidney disease was it's just a strain of nephritis and at that time it was very minor and i probably wouldn't have to deal with it until like my seniors senior life but so i would just kind of every once in a while go to the doctor it wasn't kind of a big deal and when i was 22 i got pregnant and during the pregnancy i noticed things were a bit off i was gaining a lot of weight when I wasn't able to eat anything. And so I kind of kept going back to my doctor asking what was wrong. And he said it was fine. And I ended up having seizures at my 30 week mark. And I ended up biting off my tongue, which is the worst part because it was awful. And then I also lost my kidneys because it ramped up my disease and I lost my eyesight. I was completely blind for about six months and they put me on some eye drops and started clearing out all the blood that was, it was in my eyes from my retina and my optic nerve imploded. And so there was blood in there covering the rest of the eye. Once we got that taken care of, then we realized that I have no central vision and They said after a year it would be permanent, and it definitely was permanent because it's been 17 and a half years, so it's permanent. But So I have no central vision, and I went into kidney failure. Um, It was a lot all at once. It was definitely like a life-changing event for me, definitely a before and after. So after, I... About a year later, went into full kidney failure, but we had planned ahead. So I had been meeting with transplant team, and my I actually had three brothers that went and got tested for me, and with without me even like having to tell them twice, they were amazing. But one was not a match, and two were perfect matches, and both of them really, really wanted to do it. So they figured it out between the two of them. But my oldest brother, Brian actually decided to give me his kidney and Scott would have but I didn't need two at the time 
But so Brian stepped up and he was going to give me the kidney. So we had our transplant on December 9th of 2008. And everything went really good. My brother had a hard time waking up, so he scared us all. But afterwards, he was great. He's great to this day. He's no regrets for doing it. He thinks it's one of the best things he's done in his life. So he's wonderful. But I ended up, sadly, I got that kidney and about a six, ten months into it, we kind of realized it wasn't functioning at full capacity anymore. So we kind of, we tried to do the crazy steroids and I was on high steroids for about two years and had the puffy face and yeah, all of it. I had it. And... Tell them about FFS or whatever. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, um, me and my daughter would joke. My daughter was in second grade when all this was going on. And my face was just so puffy. And so, we'd call it FFS, which is fat face syndrome. And that was our way of kind of making it a joke instead of really pointing out that my face looked like a mask. <laughs> so, we, we always say, are you suffering from FFS? No, not today. So, yeah, do that with your family members. It's fun. Anyways, so where was I at? Uh, rejecting and kidney. Yeah. So we fought it for about a year and a half, and I fully rejected. And I started dialysis. And about a year into dialysis, um, the kidney just kept being painful. It just, I would have stabbing pains in my abdomen and so finally, it got to the point where I just couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to the hospital, and I was told that I had to get a nephrectomy, which is basically they're going to pull the kidney out. So we went in and had that surgery, and that went well. Everything was good, but at that time, I had zero kidney function in my body. So dialysis was pretty rough. I did in-center for, at that period of time, it ended up being about five years. And at that time it was five years and they were rough. Um, I had heard about PD at this time, but I, I asked my doctor about it and he said, oh, you're legally blind. You won't be able to do it. So I just took his word for it and I moved on because that's what you do. Which is bullshit because you need to advocate for yourself. And she could have been doing PD that entire time. So. And it's so true. And that's, that's kind of why we're doing this. Is because don't make the mistakes I made. Yeah. Be asking the questions. You know. And I understand all this stuff is new. And all this stuff. You're getting a ton of information all at once. But ask every question. And if you don't know what questions to ask. Ask people that are on dialysis right now. Yeah. To get the insight of every single aspect of what they wish they knew, what they wish they what they wish they would have asked, stuff like that. Because the fact that someone was told that they could not do PD being blind, she is the the example of why you can do PD and home hemo while you're blind. Yep. Exactly. So Definitely advocate for yourself because you truly can make a difference. So, so you did that for about five and a half? Yeah. Five and a half years. 
Um, tell some stories about uh, taking your daughter to dialysis and stuff like that. So, um, throughout this period of time, so when I, um, I, I had given birth <laughs> back when all this happened and I gave birth to a three pound, 12 ounce baby and she actually was born with no intestines, which is just crazy, but she had to have a colostomy bag for six months and now she's all good as, all good as new. She's amazing. And now she's 17 and a half. Mm-hmm. Actually, more than that. She's going to be 18 in September. So, yeah, she's amazing. But when I had her, um, the hospital stay was rough, and there was a lot going on, and I was kind of in and out for a long time. And me and her dad ended up separating. And I probably within, like, weeks received court papers that he was going to take me to court for custody. And so I kind of thank him to this day because I didn't have any time to wallow about losing my eyesight, losing my kidneys, having to start dialysis. I didn't have the time for it because I was worried about keeping my baby with me. And that was the only thing that mattered to me. During this time, you moved into your parents' house, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I moved back home with my parents, and I slept on my little sister's bedroom floor on a blow-up with Tyler, and we made it work. And it was hard, because it truly is. People don't understand how rough it is to be told your entire life is now going to change. And the crazy thing is it, it doesn't have to change. And so now that you guys can learn from our mistakes you can do better going forward and say, hey, no, my my life isn't going to completely change. I can stay who I am. I can live my life and do dialysis. Okay, tell, tell them about when you would have to take Tyler to dialysis with you. Yeah, so um, I was a single mom. I'm sorry, I got off base, huh? No, okay. <laughs> so I was a single mom this whole time because I ended up getting custody, and she's seriously been my world. But um, I was a single mom, so if, if she got sick, there was no staying home from dialysis to take care of your sick, do- sick daughter. So she came right with me, and I would kick back in the bed, and I would lay her right on my chest, and she'd sleep there, and I would take care of her from right there. So, you, so basically, you took care of a young child while you were doing incentive dialysis, which... Anybody that does in center can appreciate how difficult that was and what kind of warrior you were because just dealing with dialysis is a major thing. But then on top of that, you have a young child that you are trying to raise and trying to participate in all the activities as well. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about that? Okay, so my daughter was in second grade, and I was going to volunteer for her class at school, and it was, we were making those little um, Christmas Christmas cabins, but out of the little milk cartons, and a little girl came up to me, and she told me she liked my face, and I told her, well, thank you, and... And this is, this is back when you had FFS or yeah. whatever, right? Yeah, that fat face syndrome was full on. 
And during this fat, fat, fat face syndrome, you had your cheeks bust open, stuff yes. like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stories with that. But, but so this little girl asked me how, if my face was hard or soft. And so I said, well, it's, it's just a face, you know, it's soft. And she looked at me and she, she said, you look like Mrs. Claus. And then she ran away. <laughs> so I decided at that point, maybe volunteering should hold off for a little bit. So one of the things that I thought was the most amazing about you is the fact that you would go and do dialysis and then you would come home and you would do all of the things that, a, that basically a single mom would have to do. You know, cook dinner for your kid, go pick, go pick your kid up at school, you know, and anybody that... Take them to that, soccer practice. To take them to soccer practice. Pretty much every single thing that a, I hate to say, but in quotes, a normal parent does, she was doing as well, but doing in-center dialysis at the same time. And blind. And blind and all of this stuff. So basically, she had the trials of being a single mother, the trials of being legally blind, and the trials of rejecting a kidney, doing dialysis, and then go ahead and tell them about um, that call that you got about the catabolic one. So um, I actually... Um, I was at my sister's house and we were laying down cement blocks in her backyard and I had gotten a call from an unknown number. So I answered it and it just happened to be transplant and they had a kidney for me. And so of course I got off the phone and freaked out with my family and <laughs> got all excited and I went down to get a kidney. So on May 7th, 2016, I actually got a transplant from a donor who had passed away. And so I got, I got another go, which is amazing. And everything was great. Everything went well for a while. And then again, we started noticing I was rejecting. Before she started rejecting, that's when I came into the picture. Yeah. And I met this amazing single mom that I knew. I knew the background of her dialysis and being legally blind. And honestly, I didn't even associate that she was blind um, because I would, for our first date, we actually went to Chris, the Ogden City Christmas Village, which is the local city around here, and it does the lighting ceremony and stuff like that. And during that time, I'm, I was a single parent as well. I had full custody of my daughter, Mercedes, and she is actually off in southern Utah going to college, being an adult, killing it. Love you, Sadie. things. And, uh, so during that time, I was actually extremely broke at that time. And the only date that I could afford was, hey, I'll take her to the Christmas lights. <laughs> so we took the kids to the Christmas lights. Which I happen to think was the best date ever because I absolutely love Christmas lights. Yeah, but then she asked for hot chocolate. So I'm like, ah, man, how am I going to afford that? So <laughs> I put some money together and we got hot chocolate for everybody. And, uh, that was the initial date of Michael and Christina. So yeah. pretty much ever since that, you know, I had to do some convincing, but, uh, <laughs> I convinced her to, uh, not stop seeing me and, <laughs> uh, pretty much we just 
became an amazing couple. And during this time, she started rejecting her kidney. So go ahead and tell them about that. So this rejection, we kind of tried to take it a little differently. And we kind of had figured at this point that the strain of nephritis that I have had obviously come back into the first kidney and now the second. So we were trying to, with my particular strain, um, my body, my kidneys never processed my protein properly. So there's just not an off switch. And so they started thinking, okay, well, how exactly can we get the protein out of our body? And so, so we did, we did different trials and then they were like, well, her antibodies are really high. I think her antibodies might be causing it to keep going. So then we started doing chemo treatments. We were doing treatments that, to this day, I don't know what they are. All I know is they were extremely expensive. Yeah. There was one that was like $175,000 every single week. And we would do those on Wednesday. So, usually, there would be someone that would take her to dialysis. Or not dialysis. Infusion. To infusion. Whether it was my mom, her mom, brothers, sisters, whoever. And then I would show up after work. And I, I'm a aircraft mechanic for the U.S. government. So my schedule goes from about 4.30 in the morning to about 3 p.m. So we would meet up at 3 p.m. This is still back when we were pretty much dating. And I, I loved it because it was our joking Wednesday where we would just sit and talk and listen to comedians and, you know, so... He loved it because every time he got Laura Dune cookies. That's right. My favorite cookies, and I would make her ask for them. <laughs> so I'm sure they thought that she was a Laura Dune fiend. But, yeah, they're just amazing. <laughs> so we would do the Wednesday treatments. And there was actually even a time when she, would, she did plasma phoresis. Yeah. Which is where they take all of her plasma out and replace it with... Donated plasma. Donated plasma. And all of this stuff just wasn't working. She was injecting, rejecting. She had no immune system at all. They absolutely destroyed her immune system. And this is when just a little tiny cold would kick her in bed for like a month, month and a half. Yeah. And it finally got to the point where we started thinking... Okay, we're trying to save this kidney. But is kind of destroying my body in the process worth it? Right. What are all these chemicals that we're pumping into or doing to her body? You know, and she's, you know, young woman, young young kids, you know. And we finally decided to go ahead and let this kidney fail. And then that's when we had to address dialysis again. And at that time, it was kind of a turning point because in the past, I had, I had always done what I was told. And I started realizing that I was, I had this amazing family now and I had all these reasons that I wanted to live and still do dialysis. So we kind of refused to go back in center and we started shopping around for clinics that would allow me as a blind person to do PD. And I think we bounced around to four or five different clinics. Yeah. 
until we find until we actually until we found a clinic that just kind of matched with us. Yeah. And then that's when we that's when we started PD. So she went and had had, had her PD catheter placed. Go ahead. Yep. And um, starting PD, of course, everyone knows it's rough at the beginning, but. I had technically not had a good kidney in years at this point. So when I started PD, for me, it felt like a life change. Let's go ahead and tell them what PD is and what it stands for. So PD is peritoneal dialysis. And how it works is you have a catheter come out of your stomach and you put a saline mixture into your stomach. It stays in there. Everybody's different anywhere from an hour to up to four hours, and then it drains out. And you do that process three, four, five times a week. It all depends on what your doctor's orders are and what's what's good for your body. But so it puts this fluid, which is a sugar water, into your peritoneal cavity. And how your body works is your body evens, evens out its pH in all the fluid in your body. So if it sees this new fluid in there, it's thinking, oh, there's there's no toxins in there. So it starts moving the toxins to it. And the sugar in the fluid actually absorbs liquid. So as it's sitting in there, it's performing dialysis. And you do that, again, three to five times a night, and you wake up and your dialysis is done. And that's basically an eight to ten hour session, right? Yeah. Okay. And so, doing, doing PD, you can do manuals, which are basically the same thing as night PD, except you're exchanging during the day. And that is where PD dialysis was amazing. Yeah. Because you didn't have to live by the machine. You could do manuals. Um, this is when the famous picture of her on the motorcycle came out, of her doing dialysis on the motorcycle. And... During this time, you know, we, we got a lot of flack for that, but it was just something that we had to do. We were on our way down to Wendover, which is the local casino down here in Utah, just across the border. Gambling. Gambling and having fun. And she, we, needed, did, we did an exchange. To, yeah. We did, we did a fill right at the beginning before we started our trip. And we figured when we get to the hotel, we will change it out and do another manual well traffic didn't agree with that and we had to do dialysis yep so i we always keep an emergency sanitized kit in in her in her bag so we did it as safe as possible we pulled over and did connections and had gloves on and sanitized but we did it right there on the side of the road so and that's when the famous picture was taken yeah. of her just thoroughly living on dialysis so we got that exchange done made it to the casino um did some drinking had some fun did some more exchanges and this is when we stayed the night in probably our first outing for dialysis so um other than camping because we also Yep, we picked up some property. Yep. About we we picked up some property about half half an hour away from us. So it is far enough away that we're camping, but close <laughs> enough that if I need to rush her to the hospital 
or something like that. Or if I go up, I can still come back within half an hour and know what's going on. So we did lots of dialysis up in the up in the mountains. We learned quite a bit when it came to that. I set up some solar panels, set up an inverter to where it would run the machine, and everything ran great unless it got too cold and that heater on the machine kicked on. Um, once the heater machine kicked on, that's when it would blow my inverter and we'd have a power outage, so I'd have to pull out the generator and we'd still run dialysis. You know, it's like a eight to 10 hour session. Yeah. So basically we would just run dialysis up yeah. camping. And then, we camping had, and, and then we went to Arizona to go see my awesome sister-in-law, Rachel. Yep. And, and we had all our bags flown to our hotel. It got there before we did. Yep. And during this time, she was having some some issues. So we took the wheelchair with us. And I tell everybody that you can do anything you want on dialysis. It may just take a little additional planning. So we would we got some special luggage that we used to fly the PD machine down to Arizona. Which you and get then, from your center, and it flies for free. Yep, and if they don't have one, tell them to order one. Um, also, every single hotel that we stayed at, even the creepy one with the wheeled <laughs> pool. With had, the green pool. Yeah, with the green pool. We had all of our dialysis supplies delivered to each place. So each place that we ended up staying had a day of dialysis, which would end up being uh, four boxes and cassettes and basically just the supplies that we need. And then at the final place, we had the additional days delivered so that when we went to stay at my sister's house, we had all of the dialysis stuff needed as well. Um, and, and like we had I said, a blast. We had a blast. And like I said, we accommodated dialysis and accommodated any of her health concerns like i said she had some issues with energy back at that back during those times and she we ended up having to get a wheelchair for her so but at that time i had gone over 10 years without being able to go on vacation without being able to go camping without being able to do any of these things that we should be able to do right and and i and i'll tell you Everybody thinks that it's me pushing her to do all this stuff. It's not. It is all the stuff that she wants to do. And anything that she wants to do, we will make happen. She wants to go camping, we go camping. She wants to ride ATVs. If this blind chick wants to ride ATVs and drive them, then that's what she does. If she wants to go camping one night, that's what she does. If she wants to go on vacation, if she wants to go have a girls' night, then that's what she does. And that was the good thing about PD is that she could administer all of her PD. No issue. No problems. Yeah. It, it was great. And PD is kind of the, what I would say is probably closer to the first step. Just because it is very easy to do. It is time consuming. But you just accommodate the schedule. We had some certain shows that we would watch at night. She would hook up, we'd dwell, stuff like that, and then she would go to sleep, and I would disconnect her when I would go to work in the morning. Um, during this time, 
she was actually ejecting PD slowly, but we didn't know it. Um, this was during some scary times where she ended up getting life flighted to the U of U hospital. And it's basically because we took her to our local hospital and they took a look at her and was like, you have no kidneys, you're on PD. She was having a problem with bleeding and they basically said, we... We don't even want to touch yeah, this. We, we can't even handle you. So they ended up life fighting her to the local U of U hospital, which is the big hospital down in Salt Lake. And they addressed a whole bunch of the problems and fixed some stuff. But that is when... It was... I still had a lot of ongoing abdominal pain. And the doctors would say that that's fairly normal when you have PD. But mine was... It it wasn't what they, they were describing as normal. It didn't stop. It was all the time. It moved around... And so I felt like a weirdo telling my doctors, they'd say, where's the pain? I'd show on my left side. And then the next day, where's the pain? Oh, it's over here on my right side. It just moved around and it was just so hard to explain what it was. And I wish during this time we would have asked more questions. And we were more of an advocate back then. Because back then, PD was new. We didn't really know what the process was, what the steps were. And PD had done so much for me because I hadn't had functioning kidneys for years. So I didn't know what that felt like. So PD still made me feel so much better. And, and so during this time, her PD tube appeared to be getting pushed out, out <laughs> of her stomach. And we couldn't determine if it was being pushed out, if it was being rubbed out. Because where they placed it, it was placed right where her pant line was. So was it from... Jeans, Jeans, kind of. was it from, you know, just random wear? And when we went to the doctor, that's when they determined that we needed to change it out. And during this time, we were informed, well, actually, right after, she was, right after it was placed, we were informed that they can do a chest catheter. And so I did some... Well, we weren't really informed. Yeah, we were... We figured it out and demanded it. Yeah. And the biggest question during this time was, why didn't anybody tell us? Why didn't anybody tell us that we could have a chest catheter? For a blind chick... Who to wants do to go a connection, swimming. Yeah, and that wants to go swimming. <laughs> she has a tube coming out of her stomach now that she's not supposed to put underwater. So, you know, we disobeyed that, but we made it work. We figured it out. So, we ended up having the PD tube replaced. And during this time, we had it replaced, and she had a chest catheter. We did a, I did a lot of investigating on what the chest catheter, um, what the problems were with chest catheters, what, and we found out that actually... It's they say very it's, good. Yeah, they say it's more sanitary. Yep. Um, especially for women, they can just take that tube and wrap it up and put it in their bra. Yep. Um, and it's easier to see it. It's in a place where you're not sweating the way you do in your stomach on your jeans and stuff sometimes. And so it's just altogether, it's more convenient placing. It's safer. It's more sanitary. It's just a so, good spot. And this this is where I, this is where the idea of the dialysis group came into my head 
because I was finding out that every single thing I had to do, I had to Google and find out my own information. And I would go to all of these sites and ask questions about PD and home hemo and why we do it this way. And there were so many people that would get upset because I was pushing the envelope. I was like, well, why can't she go swimming? Well, you just can't. I'm like, well, why? <laughs> why can't she go swimming? Why can't we cover this with little things like even a colostomy bag? Uh, yeah. Why can't I seal this from the, from the environment and let her still do the things she wants to do? And nobody could give me an answer of, well, yeah, you can. So finally, it was where we started getting stubborn and we're like, okay, like- I am going to go swimming. Tell me how I can do this effectively. Because you're not going to tell me I, I'm not going swimming. Tell me how I can. And that's where I got the idea of living on dialysis. Because I got sick and tired of asking all of these questions on all of these different groups. When I'm like, why can't I start a platform and have all of the questions at my disposal? All of the things that we thought of the questions of why didn't anybody tell us and start posting it on here. And during this time, she had the chest catheter placed and she could not do PD fills. So basically what we would do is we took up to the machine and we would try to force fluid into her and it just wouldn't go in. And the little amount that we could get in then it wouldn't come out. So we ended up having x-rays and finally you had to have a CT scan. Yep. And then we and then finally they ended up doing after about two weeks, I swear, it was okay, but, we're doing an ultrasound with, with Well some that's when they decided dye. they had to go back in. Cause they they did the dye, the dye during the CT and then they decided we have to go in and see what's going on. So then they went in there, and while he was in in there, he found... Well, he didn't really... F- did he find it out? He, fi- he found it, and he separated it. So yeah. that, and that's when we were introduced to abdominal adhesion. Now, abdominal adhesion does not show up on ultrasounds, CT scans. It does not show up on anything until you actually go, go in, in, laparoscopy or whatever, and they can actually see it. And that's why when they would do the ultrasound... Everything looked great. The tube looked the tube was placed perfectly. Everything was perfect, except she had abdominal adhesion. And what that is is, it's where when you have a lot of scarring on your abdomen, it it tends to happen because the scarring, for some reason on the inside, it it causes the intestines to stick together. So the intestines just nut all up into a ball. And so they ended up separating all the abdominal adhesion, replaced the tube, and within 24 hours, it did your it again. abdominal adhesion came back and kinked off. Now, during this time, nobody knew what she had. And this is when, like I said, I got on Google, I got on some websites, I, actually, I was the one that actually found out that this is called abdominal adhesion. And then this is when I went to specialists and she was she was in a rough shape right now and i camped out at 
doctor's offices and waited for them to walk in. And I'm sure I was close to having, having the cops called on me because I would wait for them to walk in and I would walk in after them saying, hey, what can I do? And one of the doctors was like, well, we need to fill with all this fluid and see if this, this can get, I'm like, she can't. She's on dialysis. It is limited fluid. And she's like, oh, well, we can't do that then. Um, uh, and and I, I camped out at the surgeon's office. I, I phone called the surgeon's office. Even, even her stomach doctor, I, sent, I, I stopped her on Facebook and sent her a big, long message that she didn't get until later on. And that's when, you know, the doctor basically told her that I, I adored her and all this stuff. And it was actually kind of cute that yeah. I stopped her, thankfully. Because luckily, I didn't have the cops called on me. But this is when we found out the abdominal adhesion. And uh, during this process, there was actually no cure for abdominal adhesion. And we had to decide to pull the PD catheter. At that time, it, it was a half working. to. Yeah. So during this time when she was having the PD catheter placed, she actually had a chest catheter put in. And that's when she was doing in-center dialysis. Yeah, in-center, boo. So I would take her to in-center dialysis and at 5 o'clock in the morning. And my mom or her parents would pick her up from dialysis. And she was just miserable during this entire process. Uh, in-center works for a whole bunch of people. Oh, yeah. But for Christina, it does not. Yeah, it doesn't. It just makes my body feel like I got hit by a Mack truck. Yeah. And I'm going to rewind just a little tiny bit. Um, during this process, during the PD process, we actually got married. We had our wedding on February 29th of 2020. And we actually went and did uh, PD dialysis during our honeymoon. And during that process, we actually forgot some of our supplies. <laughs> And our amazing nurse, we were able to call her and say, hey, what can we do? We actually arranged for a clinic down where we were at and had all the supplies figured out and we didn't have to leave. So back to in-center dialysis, Christina absolutely hated it. And so I had actually heard um, about a year before is the first time I ever heard about home heat. Home Hemo, and it was Sam. Sam Trevino. Trevino, for yeah. Your inspiration. Yeah, yeah. And his wife, just an amazing couple. In fact, today is their twelve-year anniversary of their kidney transplant. Woohoo! Which is so amazing. She gave him a kidney, and that's just honestly the cutest thing ever. Yeah, twelve years. That's absolutely amazing. Sam, you're my idol, and uh, you guys are you guys amazing. Are amazing. So, during this process, she was told, we found out about home hemo and stuff like that, and she actually asked the question. I was pretty adamant. I was going to home hemo as soon as possible. Yep. And what did they end up telling you? Um, they told me that I couldn't go home with the central catheter. And so, I was, I was so bummed. I thought I was going to have to wait months for a fistula. She was devastated. And during this time, she actually questioned whether she wanted to keep doing in-center dialysis. It was that bad. And that's when I kind of went behind her back. And because, I mean, she, she would come home in tears 
why can't I, why can't I do this at home? Why can't I do, you know? And I finally went behind her back, went to the doctor's office and was like, okay, I need an answer right now of why she can't do in-home hemo. And I, th- I think the doctors just didn't realize it was Christina because I went in, I'm like, listen, she has 17 years of dialysis and kidney problems. She knows more about dialysis than any of us. And I think once they realized it was Christina, they're like, oh, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of take credit for her coming home and doing dialysis. But really, it was just asking the question, why? Yeah. And that's, that's where being the biggest advocate for yourself, if the doctors and the teams don't tell you what you want to hear, then ask why. And I think sometimes we, we kind of think we're being jerks. But you have to remember that this is your life, not theirs. This is just their job. So we need to advocate for ourselves because we're the ones living it. it, it and doing this, doing this process, too, is when I, I guess, became a butthead when it came to them telling us how we're going to do things. It's, no, we're going we're gonna to do it this way, and you're going to tell us how we can do it. One of the biggest things I tell people now is when they are having PD that people ask more questions about the shoes they're going to wear or the shoes they're going to buy than the surgery that they're going to have. I tell them, go into that surgeon's office, have them mark exactly where they're going to put place this tube, and then walk around. Walk around with that X on you and find out, are my pants going to rub on this? When I bend over, is it going to pinch? You know... Because they can place it pretty much anywhere and make it comfortable. Because this tube is going to be hanging out of your stomach for or your chest for who knows how long. Yep. There's people that have been doing PD for over 20 years. Yeah, it's amazing. And so if you're going to have a tube hanging out of your stomach, decide where it's going to be. And be your own advocate on stuff like that. And uh, so we started doing home hemo. Well, we, went, we started doing training. You went to graveyards. Yep. Well, it was uh, right after Thanksgiving. We got the call that she got. we got our machine in. And basically, you have to do training on your own machine. So we had to wait for, uh, during this time, it was next stage. They delivered, they ordered the machine. And we were told, I believe it was Thanksgiving Day, yeah. that it came in. So I immediately went to Knights and we started training. Yep, we'd go five days a week, and we'd do dialysis while we were there, and first few days were completely overwhelmed, and slowly just got better and better and better. So I went to work from 9 p.m. to 5 in the, or till 6 in the morning, and then I would immediately come home, grab Christina, and we would go to the clinic, and we would do roughly six to eight hours of training. So we went from... 6 a.m. 6 p.m. 6 a.m. to about sometimes 2 p.m. and then I would have to attempt to go to sleep and start it all over again because training was Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 2ish p.m. and I was still working during this time. So I he was, was a zombie. I was a zombie. I was pissy, but we got it done and we were actually able to train so quick that we had Christmas at home. Woo-hoo! Christmas Eve was my first night home doing dialysis. 
Yeah. Which is just incredible. We invited family over. We set up the machine. We were actually able to do dialysis while we were opening presents with her family. And it was absolutely amazing. I went back to days. He became happier. He became happier. (laughs) Um, And during this process is, I mean, you can get on the site and you can see all of the mistakes that I made. And I kind of joke that every time I almost killed her, it was one of the best learning experiences because I never wanted to do that again. So we had multiple times where we couldn't put her blood back. Yep. We had multiple times where the machine would just beep and alarm just and have us. problems. And it was one of the, uh, probably the, the best thing is get in there and start doing it. Because you find your niche, you find your practices. Yep. And I am extremely, extremely OCD. Extremely. So every single thing has a step. Every single thing has a documentation that goes with it. So, and that helps, especially when it comes to dialysis. Because you know... I'm not like that at all. Absolutely not. (laughs) So on the machine, I have hanging directions... I have exactly how you need to do it. And uh, so basically we were doing at-home dialysis. Um, Also during this time, she was going through a lot. So Mm -hmm. this is when I made the amazing dialysis advent wall. Yeah. And basically if you know how big dialysis boxes are, I just saved like 31 of them. And I wrapped them all and had a different gift in them. For every day. Every day that she would come home from PD training, or sorry, home hemo training, she would get a punch open a box like you would on an advent calendar by opening a box. And she would have a different random gift. She loved snow globes, so I pretty much, that was majority of the gifts. Which was awesome. Yeah. So that was uh, the amazing wall of advent dialysis wall yeah it was amazing so we figured out all of the kinks figured out all the problems this is when the uh pd this is when the living on dialysis site actually took off yeah you started because i wanted to document the training and if i was going to have so many problems with training and issues i would just address them on the site and say this is what we had this is what fixed it and I documented every single day of training. And um, before he started this, I remember he came to me one night because I'm not, I'm not, I'm very loud and outgoing, but I don't really put my problems out there very much. I try not to. And so I'm not as open in that fashion. And he had asked me, hey, can I, can I do this? Like, because being a caretaker isn't what most people think. It's not just hooking up some tubes and there's a lot of stress involved you've got a lot on your shoulders and honestly you are being a hero every single time you step in front of that machine and that is a lot of pressure being a caretaker is probably one of the the hardest things that someone can do because i have to go to work every single day but yet maybe that that morning or that night i had to rush her to the emergency room there was one day in particular where um, it was actually before she started home hemo and it was, luckily it was only a buildup of fluid and you know, there, there was a lot of, a lot to this, but 
she started to feel like she was having a heart attack. That's when I we found out about the abdominal adhesion as mm-hmm. well. Yep. And uh, she was put on a whole bunch of different medicine that was messing with her. I mean, she that was some medicine that that just really messed with her brain and messed with her body. Um, so during this process, so it was it was trial and error of what this medicine is doing, what this process is doing. They actually. Uh, she ended up having uh, perianitis, what? Um, pancreatitis. Pancreatitis. Pancreatitis, which they compare to the pain of uh, childbirth. So she was put in the hospital for that. Um, oh my gosh, I thought for sure you were gonna say, which the men can understand as the everyday cold. Well, yeah, I mean it's a man cold. I mean, so uh, I mean, come on now. <sighs> You know, man colds are extremely bad. I mean, I've had a couple that may have been a little bit worse than childbirth. Don't come at me. I'm just joking. Yeah, total but jokes. Seriously, mine is mine is worse than everybody else, and they need to be compassionate about the man cold. So, um, she was put in the hospital about over this, and after this process, she was put on some medicine that just really messed with her, and uh, we rushed to the hospital. And during this time, she was actually calling family, saying goodbye. She actually recorded on my phone, which I still have on my phone, her last rites of basically saying, this is what I want done. This is what I want to happen. And uh, it was was one of those moments that it's inevitable for us, but it's just one of those moments where it all hits you. Yeah. So, and during this time, it was the peak of COVID. And uh, my wife had... A PD catheter hanging out of her chest, a central port hanging out of the other side of her chest, and uh, they basically told her to go home. This was pain tolerance, and I don't really care what your stance is on COVID. I don't really care what your stance is on the on the vaccine, but my wife was told with tubes hanging out of her chest to go home. And uh, during this process, a lot of people wanted me to force her to go to another hospital. And I'm not going to force her to do anything. She wanted to go home. She wanted to go home and sleep. And when I say goes. Yep. And pretty much that's exactly what it is. Is she has dealt with enough crap that she gets to decide what gets done. So, back on to... Home hemo, and she, this is when I, this is when I started the site because I actually got kicked off a whole bunch of other sites because I was asking too many questions of why, and a lot of people were getting upset about me saying Incentral is not for her. She yeah. is not going to do Incentral. What do I need to do for this? What do I need to do for that? And a lot of people came at me, and you know, if if you like Incentral, more power to you. Yeah, I, I I think Incentral has its place, but honestly, the any time you can do dialysis more often, you are going to feel better, one hundred percent. And she is living proof of that right now. And it may not be my better, but it will be your better. Yep. So we have dialed in home hemo. She actually did a trip to Vegas. Go ahead and tell them about that. Yeah, we had a blast. I went to Vegas with amazing Amber Hardman, who is wonderful. And we had a blast. We went to the Titanic Museum. We went and saw the bodies exhibit. 
We went to Area 15, which if you ever go to Vegas, go to Area 15. It is phenomenal. And I'll give Amber a shout out right here. Um, she actually took it upon herself to come over and learn how, learn the process of dialysis and what steps to do and stuff like that. Now, Christina runs 99% of her dialysis and it is always good to have a caretaker with you. Um, they do have solo hemo, which everyone has a time and place for that. Again, I don't another it. amazing option if amazing that works option. for you. Amazing option. I suggest you always have someone that can be there just in case you pass out or whatever. But she runs her dialysis. And she was a actually able to go on vacation and, and just have, have a the blast. time of her life. Now, there were some issues where I learned that I needed to send more of a... Saline bag. Yeah, I made a uh, no-no die kit for vacation for Christina. And I should have quadrupled what I put in there. Because, <laughs> let's see, Christina ended up stabbing a bag of saline. <laughs> um, there was issues with setup. So that was the other bag of saline. And she was out. So we had to call around to a whole bunch of clinics. And we actually found some more saline, which was amazing. Awesome props to the uh, clinic down there. Fersinius, you're amazing. Yeah, and she was able to perform dialysis and not have to come home. Or me have to book down to Vegas, Vegas. and give her more saline because that was starting to be an option. So we have dialed in home hemo. Um, and again, like I said, that's why I started the site was everything is open on living on dialysis. Uh, any question that you have, we go ahead and answer. Any question that you have for Christina, throw it at her. And people say all the time, though, that they can't put sad messages on there. But that is completely opposite. You have every right to be upset, emotional, angry, like hate the entire world if you want to. Dialysis sucks. But then the next day, come back and be joyful. Yep. And, I, you know, we have no problem with the negative comments. Just have, a, just have a solution to it. Yeah. You know, if you feel like crap, why do you feel like crap? Address with your team. Address your recipe. Address the time. Address at-home hemo. Yeah. You know, if you want to go camping, the biggest thing with home hemo, home dialysis, is you can do it anywhere you want. You just make I it can, happen. Yeah. I can plug her machine in anywhere I want. Up camping, at a casino, at resorts it does not matter i can i can have bags delivered to anywhere she wants to go almost anywhere almost anywhere but you know <laughs> what anywhere that mills delivered she can have she can have dialysis bags delivered too and it isn't where you want to do dialysis it's anywhere you want to do dialysis and i joke around that we do camping hemo it's not home hemo anymore it is whatever hemo you want we have home vacation hemo. We have hemo. vacation hemo. We have resort hemo. We have girls trip hemo. Heck, tell us all the hemos. Like, give us ideas. Cause, yep. Yeah. And so we're going to try to do this weekly. We are going to have a different guest every single week where we're going to introduce someone else that is on the Living on Dialysis group. And anybody that wants to be featured on the podcast... 
reach out to me or Christina. Yeah. And we are def- we're going to do a 10-minute intro of this is your story. Get your get your trials out there. Tell us what your tell us what uh what you wish you would have known when it all started. Yeah, what what you wish you what what you want to tell people of this is what I learned. This is what I do on dialysis. Even the ones in center. Well, Why does it work for you? Everyone. Tell whatever us. your story is, we want to hear it. Yeah. So, and we're going to do different topics. Send us ideas of different topics that you want us to do. Hopefully you listen to this and you like what <sighs> you hear and you want to do and you want to hear more of these. I'm going to post this and share it everywhere. And yeah, hopefully you like it. This is the Living on Dialysis podcast. And we're out. This is Christina Gilchrist and Michael Gilchrist. <laughs> and uh, thanks for listening. Bye, guys. See ya.